0: in Troy hotline Alicia, Michael,
1: what's going on? We know you have takes, we have takes I'm actually surprised that your
2: rant line, raid line, whatever isn't completely full Why can't we just win a game?
0: Can I blame Michael Castillo for this?
2: Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys
0: Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo!
1: Oh, I can't believe USC is Going to do the same thing again, year after year. Oh no. Hello everybody, welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode three hundred and sixty, coming to you on Wednesday, March eleventh. Day one of spring camp for the Trojans. We're going to preview camp and so much more here in this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Troy at Fanside.com, And our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Joined along with my co-host, Alicia D'Aretola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back uh, for the first time in a while, a little bit, sort of. We haven't recorded this way in... Whew, it's been
2: like a month and a half. It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm feeling a little rusty, honestly. Um, it's It's been a little... Uh, it's actually... The last month has been um, in- interesting, challenging, um... Uh, <laughs> uh, stressful in 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 the sense of like being busy and not being able to sort of sit down in the normal routine that we get into with the podcasting so we're just going to try and make our way through this one and uh see where it goes
1: yeah a lot of stuff on on our plate off the field or off the pod as they would say uh but we're going to we're going to try to get through it i've been sick forever uh you haven't been home in a while so uh, and and, and it be, doesn't look
2: like I'm going to be home for a while still, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, li- living out of a suitcase right now is has been interesting. Yeah,
1: so we're gonna find a way to get her done and talk about USC spring camp, which opens up today, March 11th, Wednesday. Uh, I was so glad we were doing those Wednesday episodes and we we're publishing every single one at 5 a.m. Pacific, and I'm like, sorry, 5 a.m. Mountain Time and 4 a.m. Pacific, and I was so proud of myself because I was like, look at this. We're on this schedule and it's perfect and we're hitting every single week until last week. So today we are restarting that journey of delivering Wednesday episodes, uh, which means we, we have to start where we should start which is patting ourselves on the back with five-star reviews that we got
2: through Apple Podcasts. You want to read the first one? Yeah, and this one is from a, a little while ago. I guess we sort of slipped through the cracks and uh, and missed it. It's from back in December. And this is from Rizzo is cool. And they say, great football podcast. Uh, I only listened to podcasts regarding uh, the Iowa game, impressed with the two hosts knowledge, and they were entertaining to listen to. They were very well prepared when talking about Iowa. Their post-game beatdown of the USC coaching staff was actually done with well-thought-out arguments instead of the normal drunken fan perspective with very incomplete thoughts. If I were a USC fan, this would be a must-listen-to po- listen podcast. Great job. Five stars. Thank you, Rizzo is cool. Uh, we We talk all the time, Michael, about how the coolest reviews that we get are the reviews from opposing fans who listen to the podcast and find it to be well-researched and to that 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 we're giving, you know, both both sides a fair shake and uh and that we're basically not crazy, you know, crazy psycho, uh quote unquote drunken fan types who who are just uh throwing random stuff out there and, and seeing if it sticks. So we very much appreciate that one.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, you and I both have a case of imposter syndrome where we're both terrified to come off like standing like we don't know what we're talking about. Uh, me in particular. Uh, so when we talk about other schools, I'm always terrified um, of not being able to sound intelligent. And so what happens is we end up having these rundowns that are like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 pages long that are just stacked with statistics and everything that we can find about opposing teams so we can try to make as much sense as possible about it. So uh, to hear that uh, come off as a good thing, uh, it's good, good for us. I think I'll take it.
2: Absolutely, and and yeah, I'm in the same. I'm in definitely in the same boat, and uh, always love to hear uh the good feedback from from the folks. Uh, we also got a, a review from a little bit more recently, from the end of February, from Chucky Four Seven Three, which says, uh, "Randa Troy, five stars. My favorite podcast to listen to, and not only because I'm a huge USC football fan." Michael, Michael and Alicia are so good together, they are informative while being funny and unique at the same time. From news and notes to insight to opinion, humor to some craziness, hilarious rants from fans, totally off topic discussions that are awesome, and wacky food takes, this pod has it all. Rod has found its own niche and hits the target nearly every episode. This is the ultimate pod for fans, as Michael and Alicia are first and foremost fans like us. Hashtag LA Fred. So thank you so much, LA Fred. Uh, you are one of our our longtime listeners and one of our engaged listeners, always sending in um, things, for, questions for the mailbag, always sending in uh, tweets with your thoughts, and we very, very much appreciate uh, all of your contributions to the show. That's what we've been saying from from the beginning. We want this to be a show that is open to our listeners, that that has them involved. And LA Fred's been around for a while. Yeah, uh, LA Fred's an awesome
1: dude. Uh, we're happy to have him in the uh, in the community. So thank you. For that one, I'll read the last one, which we just got uh, a couple weeks ago from Superfig, five-star podcast. I'm a USC Trojan fan, and I'm always looking for some news about the Trojans. These two hosts are very well informed. Their insight on the team is very, very good. And if you're a fan, please listen to them. This is Super Fig from South Carolina, and I endorse this podcast 100%. Sounds to me like we do well in the South Carolina primary.
2: <laughs> we'd get we'd get a nice chunk of those delegates. I think so. Yeah, for sure. Why not? Hey, all you need is one delegate to get on the debate stage, I, I hear. So, you know, Super Fig can be uh, our, our, our ground game if, in South Carolina. If we
1: had to debate, who would it be? It would definitely be you and not me, right?
2: Well, it depends on what we're debating. If we need to debate something that has to do with, like, Seinfeld or, like, random sports trivia from the 90s, then you would be the debater.
1: Sure, but I think that you're, you're smarter than me. You, you would uh, you'd, you'd do well. <laughs>
2: I, I think I can, uh, I can uh, you know, weave my way through some arguments in a, in a very sort of lawyeristic fa- fashion at times. So I do think that I, I would be okay in, in a debate situation. But like I said, there are some things that you just have encyclopedic knowledge about that maybe would trump uh, my ability to, you know, pull things out of nowhere.
1: All right, let's stop being self-serving and get into the news. There's a lot of it uh, we haven't been on in a while, so let's get to that up next. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, USC is opening up spring camp today, March 11th. This wasn't supposed to be day one. But ultimately, it is Day 1. Uh, day 1 is supposed to be March 10th, yesterday, Tuesday. But that got pro- postponed due to weather. And therefore, here we are, Day 1 on March 11th. Day 2, March 12th. Day 3, March 14th, before USC takes a week off uh, for spring break. And, you know, things are going to get a little interesting because camp is supposed to be open to the public. Fans are going to be able to come through all throughout camp, I, I believe, Every, episode, every uh, practice but the April 18th practice was going to be originally set to be open to the public. No longer the case due to USC releasing a statement on Tuesday uh, saying that all the campus is going to be closed to the public through March 29th due to coronavirus precautions. Quote, USC Athletics has remained in regular communication with University Impact World Leadership to monitor developments related to the coronavirus COVID-19, in response to decisions announced today by the University USC Athletics will I- implement new attendance protocols for home competition and events. Uh, this includes spring practice, which means that the fans, at least until at least through March 19, uh, 29th, will not be able to go to Howard Jones Field and see the new look Trojans.
2: Yeah, and that's a, that's a bummer. Um, fortunately, it seems as though the media will still be allowed at practice, so we'll still be able to give reports from pra- from the practice field and, and sort of let you know what we're seeing. Uh, but unfortunately, people won't be able to go and, and see it for themselves, at least for the first six six practices, um, which is disappointing, I'm sure, for those who are going to go. Uh, but, you know, USC, I think, is is following the lead of a lot of other uh, a lot of other universities out there that we've already seen, you know, whether you agree with it or not, the Ivy League has canceled their spring practices in, entirely. So I suppose that USC fans should just be grateful that USC is going to be able to practice at all, uh, because the Pac-12 isn't taking that extreme that the Ivy League took. But you know, we're seeing basketball. Uh, the tournament is in is in danger. Uh, basketball tournaments have been canceled. Basketball tournaments have been put behind closed doors. And it's just where we're at right now with the the coronavirus. And, you know, it's a serious thing that we need to obviously all as individuals take a, do our part. You know, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. I'm really failing at the don't touch your face thing. Um, I, I
1: cannot not do the don't touch your face. Thing. Like, you I'm, I'm a it.
2: struggle. I saw a meme today where it, it had a, a dog. It was like a little comic where the dog was looking at the man with the. Uh, caught with the cone of shame and saying it's for your own good, you can't touch your face and it's like, yeah, I need one of those cones of shame to prevent me from touching my face but I am washing my hands I'm doing the whole um, the sing a song while you wash your hands thing so I'm, my chosen song is Landslide uh, so that's been fun um, but, you know, that's as individuals that's all we can do uh, the, the, the higher ups are going to make these decisions they're going to be out of our hands we can go back and forth about how necessary these measures are, but they're measures that are going to be- get put in place out of caution, and that's sort of where we're at. And everyone just has to s- has to live with them. And in the grand scheme of things, the closing of of practices is on honestly really minor, I think, for the vast majority of USC fans. I think the vast majority of Uf- USC fans don't go to practice, um, aren't that interested in going to practice, aren't able to go to practice, and so this won't actually have too much of an impact uh, but it is a little bit of a bummer because when there's fans at practice, it's always a little bit more energ- energized. So that's sort of where we're at.
1: Yeah, it's good for transparency's sake as, as well, obviously. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things that's, you know, this isn't Clay Helton's call. This isn't Mike Bones' call.
2: Yeah, um, that's, let's every make single that university,
1: clear. <laughs> Every single university has been putting in these policies. Uh, so if you're USC, I think it's very easy to fall in line with what everybody else is doing. Uh, and at some point, it might happen at the county level, too. Uh, you know, the state of Washington is is putting in these kind of restrictions. Uh, the Santa Clara County did this. The, the Sharks can't play home games in the month of March. All these things are, are going down. So uh, it's not just a USC thing. Uh, this is obviously bigger than that. Uh, but this is a USC podcast, which means we're going to talk about what it means for the Trojans, especially spring camp. Uh, let's get into... What we expect to see in spring camp, uh, the press release that that was released, you know, a couple weeks ago that talked about, you know, spring camp originally being open and all that kind of stuff, which is obviously no longer the case, mentioned eight padded practices with tackling periods. Todd Orlando last week in, in his media appearance said nine, so maybe that's including the spring showcase. But either way, USC's going to do what they can with the NCAA rules. The first week you can't participate with uh, with pads as it is it's kind of a mandated uh what what's the what's the word not not a warm up period but there's there's, there's Accla- a term
2: acclimation for it. I think is the word they use there it is
1: yeah and it was uh it was a long adult word that they uh try to make sound serious
2: yeah it's one of those but uh that was uh, the first two practices so originally the tuesday and now the wednesday practice and the thursday practice will be non padded uh, which, you know, was one of the funny things that came out of the uh, the assistant coaching interviews that, that were made available uh, to people was Todd Orlando talking about the first two days of practice. And USC fans would love that clip, at least the ones who get angry about the sort of toughness and, and physicality of practice, because Todd Orlando's sitting there going like, you know, day one is is not in pads and... That's uh, he sort of did a pause. He didn't even have a word for it. He just was sort of scoffing at the uh the first two practices. So that's the the nature of it too is is Saturday will be the first practice in pads. and so things will we really won't see much until Saturday. The first couple of days of of practice will will really be more about from a, from our perspective watching it is is mostly. All right, who's there? Who's not? Uh, right. Who Who's with what position group? Uh, if they what do installation. any installation, sp- yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, it'll be a bit more quiet, but uh, still, at the very least, we do have this indication that they're going to be doing these padded practices and that they're going to be tackling specifically mentioned tackling periods. And um, if I remember correctly, it's it's actually they've said that the Tuesday and Saturday practices will be in pads. The question that I have is, what do they mean by pads? Because in the past, we've heard USC people refer to padded practices as the shorts and shells practices, which I don't think fans necessarily agree with that definition. Um, So that'll be what I'm curious of. If they go to Tuesday, Saturday practices in full pads, I will be quite uh, pleased with that. And then Thursdays in, in shells, you would imagine, but. Obviously, we'll see how it all goes. The the, the new coaches, at least, the, the defensive hires, Todd Orlando and all of them, they're at least saying all the right things as far as the physicality and toughness and, and energy and all that kind of stuff in practice. So hopefully we'll see that come to fruition. But, you know, we've also heard those things before. So I take a lot of the words that these guys say before practice gets started with, the tiniest grain of salt, because the the buzzwords are every coach uses those buzzword buzzwords. So uh, we will see, obviously.
1: Yeah, we're we're definitely going to see. Uh, we might not see all the players there because a bunch of Trojans will not be participating or expected to not be participating in spring. We've got a pre-camp injury report of sorts. Let's go through those players that are expected to be out. Talano Hufanga, USC's junior safety, is out with a shoulder injury. Uh, he had a shoulder surgery after the season. Also, redshirt junior linebacker Hunter Eccles, redshirt sophomore linebacker Abdul Malik McLean, redshirt senior linebacker Jordan Iasefa, redshirt sophomore corner Isaac Taylor Stewart, redshirt sophomore running back Marquise Stepp, sophomore running back Keenan Kristen. He's going to be out because he's, he'll be participating with the track and field team. So, that's going to be something you can kind of pencil in every year because he was the track star in high school. Same thing with Drake London, USC's sophomore wide receiver. He's going to be over with the basketball team. Sophomore wide receiver Muneo McLean is going to be out with knee surgery uh, recovery still. Uh, and then redshirt freshman tight end Ethan Ray out with the knee. And freshman, redshirt freshman offensive lineman uh, Gino Guiones is out with a wrist.
2: Yeah, that's a lot of guys who are out and some bummers there. I think that uh, when you look at it, Talano Hafanga eh, you don't worry too much. You worry more about his injury record than him missing spring camp, but guys like Jordan Iasefa, Isaac Taylor Stewart, uh, Drake London, uh, Ethan Ray, Hunter Echols, Abdul-Malik McLean, those are guys who are, are going to miss opportunities to compete for or lock down starting jobs uh, this spring. They're going to miss the opportunity to make a first impression on the practice field with the new defensive coaches, a few of those guys. And, um... You know, specifically the ones that worry me are are the running backs. You know, Marquis Stepp has also a hindri- an injury record that that isn't super great at this point. But he's one of the most exciting players on, on the team. And you just sort of want to see him be able to be out on the practice field and show that he really can be one of the primary rushing options for USC this year. It's a bummer to not see him out there. But when you take into account Keenan Kristen not being there, you're again looking at another year where... You're in spring camp, and you don't have running backs available to you. And it's only worse because Ben Easington, the the walk-on uh, running back, he had had a season-ending knee injury last year, and he's not going to be participating in in spring camp this year because he's still rehabbing from that. So the numbers that USC has available to them at running back are going to be very limited. Now, you might listen to that and say, oh, it's an air raid, so it doesn't really matter. Well, if you want to see USC use the running backs more often, then it does. Because being able to practice with them will matter. So you really got to hope that Stephen Carr and Vi Malapai stay healthy this spring and are able to show the coaches what they can do. But this is something I'm going to come back to over and over and over again. And we're going to talk about what the the assistant coaches said uh, when, when we went in to interview them a, a week or two ago. But I keep going back to John David Baker, the tight ends coach. Talking about when at, when he was asked about, like, why don't, you know, why weren't they using the tight ends more? How are they going to use the tight ends more? His response was great. His response was, yeah, we want to use the tight end, but they have to earn it. They have to be the ones who go out there and earn it and make themselves be essential, essentially, right? So I think the same thing applies to USC's running backs. The better USC's running backs are, the better USC's running game is, as far as viability, the more you you will see those players out there, so not having the full complement is going to set that unit back a, a tiny bit. I don't. I, I think you you got to feel happy with the two that you have available, but it's a little bit of a bummer uh, to, to, to once again be facing really, really low numbers at a, at a position that traditionally you, you figure you're going to lose one of I Malapai and Steven Carr at some point to injury this spring because it happens every year.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal not to have the running backs there because I tend to think that your running backs get more out of game action than um, than practice. Uh, it's it's one of those positions I think it's it's difficult for running backs. Uh, but at the same point, everyone gets hurt. All the running backs always get hurt, always, constantly. Every single camp, every single team, they roll an ankle, they do one of these things. If you're gonna have Step and and Kristen out for a camp, have them out for spring. Get them fully healthy for the fall. I do think it's a concern with Marquis Step with that ankle. Uh, You wanted that healed, you know, in time for an Oregon rematch in the Pac 12 championship game. Here we are several months later, and it's going to keep him out for, you know, spring ball. That makes that a huge concern in that sense. But if you're going to be, you know, on the precautionary side of things, if this is what you gotta do to get him healthy for the regular season, this is what you gotta do to get him healthy for the regular season. So
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. With
1: that. Everything, I everything will be defined by how the season goes at this point. And I know that's lazy and I know it's a cop out, but with something as crucial as Marquis Step and, and his health, that's the only way that you can kinda define that kind of thing. Uh there will be players who are, will be limited but still be able to participate in some fashion. That includes Amonar St. Brown. USC's junior wide receiver. He's dealing with a sports hernia. Redshirt sophomore quarterback JT Daniels will be back and participating, but it'll be limited coming off of his ACL tear. Redshirt junior defensive lineman Jacob Lichtenstein is also back with a sports hernia. And redshirt senior offensive lineman uh, Andrew Voorhees is back with an
2: ankle. Yeah. And and again, like you mentioned that marquee step, the big concern is that that ankle injury turned into this thing that just kept going and going and going. And with uh, someone like Andrew Voorhees, Andrew Voorhees is in the same boat. Uh, He had an ankle injury that didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal. And then it just kept going and going and going and didn't see him in 2019 really. So that he's going to be limited again in spring camp is uh, you know, uh, I think a setback. Uh, I don't know how limited he's going to be. That's one of the big questions with these guys who are limited. We've had gone into practice expecting to not see Alman Ross a. Brown because he's had an injury and there he is practicing. So you, you can maybe almost expect to see if he can, if he can go, you expect to see Alman Ross a. Brown there. But Andrew Roy has had, has had this longer injury thing that's been, that he's been going through and you could really do with him getting through this quick because they are figuring out this new offensive line, and Graham Harrell said that they are going to go with the best five that are available in whatever order. And if you look at it just on the surface, Andrew Voorhees would arguably be in that best five, and the essential thing for USC's offensive line is to get those five on the field together as early as possible. There's something else that Graham Harrell said. You need to have those guys be working with their chemistry and and working together and and knowing exactly who's next to them and what everybody's job is and all the things that go along with that unit being together. So if Andrew Voorhees can be part of that unit, the earlier the better, you have to expect. But again, when they say he's going to be limited, I have no idea because a limited Andrew Voorhees in the past has been a not-practicing Andrew Voorhees.
1: Yeah, that'll be a big question to get an answer for, including how much of these guys... In this last uh, group of players, we'll be able to see, uh, this is the had surgery but will be available camp, uh, sophomore safety Britton Allen, redshirt freshman corner Adonis Ote, and redshirt sophomore defensive lineman Trevor Trout, all three getting over wrist injuries.
2: Yeah, they each had wrist surgery uh, coming out of the season, uh, but they weren't listed in the media guide as being in danger of of Either being limited in or missing spring camp, so we have to assume they're going to be good to go. It's a really good thing for a couple of those guys because Britton Allen, you know, if Talanoa Fanga's is going to be out, then there's going to be some reps there for safety to emerge, and Britton Allen will get a shot there, uh, along with you got to you got to think uh, Chase Williams and and some other guys. Um, same thing for Adonisotes. Isaac Taylor Stewart being uh, out means that uh, Adonisotes can try to make some some waves in the spring. So, uh, you know, competition is always good, and having those guys being there and healthy not only helps your depth, but it gives them all an opportunity to to, to compete for some playing time, which all of them will need to take a step forward in order to, to earn that this year.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Britton Allen could do. He was someone who, you know, really turned a lot of heads last spring, uh, looked decent in times when he was in there uh, during the season, and yeah, if Tyler Lardo is not going to be out there, more power to him. Plus, this is going to be a new defense under Tyler Orlando that's going to be DB heavy, if anything. And so there's going to be plenty of of chances for uh, for him to get out there. Uh, let's talk about other news. Uh, new USC numbers. A lot of number switches. This happens every spring. Vener McLean is now number two. He moved over from thirteen. Drew McCoy went from fourteen to four. Max Williams went from 24 to 4, JT Daniels from 18 down to 10, Raylan Goforth from 19 down to 10, and Jude Wolfe, the biggest loser here, from 82 all the way down to 18.
2: Yeah, I I love when uh, guys do the, the Brew McCoy or the Max Williams thing where you just, you know, they just trimmed a number off their their jersey and that was sort of one that they wanted all along. Um, Raylan Goforth, I, I like in the number 10 cause I really like Raylan Goforth. And I did some research and, uh, found a little trivia bit that, uh, every player who has worn the number 10, every linebacker who has worn the number 10 for USC this century, um, has led USC in tackling at some point in their career, except for one. And that one happened to be. Brian Cushing, of all people, the, the best <laughs> but, uh, one of the bunch. The 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 All American, yes. Uh, but ten has been a good number for linebackers, and uh, I I like Raylan go forth, and I think it bodes well for him as far as numbers can can bode well. Um, the one that perplexes me is the the J T Daniels Jude Wolf swap. So J T Daniels wore eighteen in high school, yes, but so did Jude Wolf, and so maybe it was a Jude Wolf wanted it more, and J T was cool with taking the ten that Jack Sears has left behind. maybe jt wanted the ten to begin with. um uh, maybe jt doesn't care. Uh, it's entirely possible. I don't know. but yeah, that was that 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 I was not expecting jt. Daniels to be one of the guys that got a new number because you figured he would have gotten the number that he wanted coming out of high school.
1: you would have thought that too. yeah I, I I agree. I think the interesting thing is is this j t rebranding himself, or is this j t just looking out for Jude Wolf and giving him his 18. Because I think, I mean, either one, it could be either one, we're probably overanalyzing it, any other way to to look at it. (laughs) But, like, this could just be JT saying, hey, I didn't have any good luck with 18 last year. Uh, The year before was okay, but, like, I just, fresh start, just go to number 10, and Jude can get it at the same time. That's the number that he wants to wear. Everybody wins. I'm guessing it's a combination of all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I would not have guessed that either. But uh, here we are. Number 10, JT Daniels. uh, At quarterback for USC, along with number 9, Keaton Slovis. Why can I not think of Keaton Slovis' name? (laughs) It's been a while. Jeez. By the way, when is Matt Fink going to change his number?
2: 19. Not a good quarterback number. It really isn't, but if you're Matt Fink. It's not good. what, What do you take if you're Matt Fink? Do you take the fourteen know, now like, that it's open, or did you just I think I think there's something about just sort of embracing it and going, nah, it's been my number from the start. I'm just gonna keep it.
1: I guess, and I know that Joe Montana wore number nineteen, but like, eh, not a good number. It really isn't. Uh, I think Bernie Kosar wore nineteen as well. Jonathan Taves, <laughs> 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 eh, Stevie Y, eh, it's not a good number outside of that. Anyways, let's get <laughs> into some spring camp superlatives. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back to Reign of Trove Radio. Let's talk about spring camp superlatives, spring camp for the Trojans starting today at Howard Jones Field. Alicia, what is the biggest battle in camp for the Trojans? To start right there. That's the big one. That's the big question. What is it for you?
2: Well, I think that the, the obvious one is left tackle. Left tackle, left tackle, left tackle, left tackle. Um, I, I would, I would sort of expand it to who are the five on the offensive line, because that's the interesting thing about who's going to play left tackle. Everyone can play left tackle. If somebody emerges, uh, they're talking about Elijah Vera Tucker is going to play, going to, going to get a, a shot at tackle. You think Jalen McKenzie could take a shot at tackle. Jason Rodriguez is waiting in the wings to try and take a shot at tackle. Um, Liam Jimmins can play tackle. Liam Douglas pl- can play tackle. Um, you know, there's just too many, too many guys in there who could theoretically play tackle that they're going to try them all and they're going to see who fits. And so what you're going to see is a domino effect. If Elijah Vera Tucker takes the left tackle spot, then the left guard spot is now up for grabs. Um, if, if Jalen McKenzie takes the left tackle spot, then the right tackle spot is up for grabs. Uh, if Liam Jimmins, it's right, you know, right tackle, left tackle, whatever, all of these things will be impacted by how that all shakes out. So it's really the obvious one. It's it's left tackle.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how it affects everything else and how that decision is made. Is it going to be USC's best lineman is the the guy who takes left tackle? Is, is that the thought process? Because that could be it, right? Like it, it could be just take your best lineman, put him at left tackle you had to guess right now, you'd probably say Elijah Vera Tucker and, and put him there and then you slot everybody else accordingly. Or is it going to be who can play left tackle the best while everyone else is in their own positions? Because say Elijah Vera Tucker is just so much better at guard than he is at left
2: tackle. And he was one of the best guards best... in the Pac-12 last year.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe he's just better there than he is at left tackle and then you have to adjust... Accordingly, like, like all these questions need to be answered. Also, what do you do with the interior presence of, uh, you got Brett Nealon, behind him you got Justin Dietrich. How does that, does Dietrich force his way in here? I think that we've thought for a while that Dietrich might be the fifth, maybe the, the fifth best lineman. Does he force his way in there in in a guard spot? Uh, what happens with Andrew Voorhees coming out of injury? Uh, what happens if there's a transfer that they're able to get over the summer How is that going to affect things moving forward? I would imagine that you just pretend like that won't happen for now. You you don't worry about that. But all these things have to be in your mind when you're trying to put everything together and uh, keeping players healthy as much as you can. I I think in a perfect world, like in an absolute perfect world, I I guess you would have Jason Rodriguez win the job, right? Because he's the age that you would want your, your next guy to be, a redshirt freshman, You put him in there. Uh, We know that there's been recruiting concerns where SC missed on Sean Ryan. They missed on Jonah T. They missed on Penny Sewell. Those guys all pegged to be future left tackles at USC, potentially, right? And now you have the problem of not having those guys. Jason Rodriguez is there. Is he too young? Is he too raw? Maybe. I don't know. We're going to find out. This is what spring camp is all about. But in a perfect world... The easiest answer is that Jason Rodriguez just takes the job and you allow Elijah Vera Tucker to stay at left guard where he's been so strong. You allow Brett Nealon to stay at center where he's been so strong and has that chemistry. And then your decision becomes, what do you do with right guard? And then it's Justin Dietrich versus uh, um, Andrew Voorhees. And that's a so much easier proposition to figure out, I would think. Yeah, but it's no, all going to depend on on where you know Jason Rodriguez is. I mean, obviously, it's a perfect scenario, but
2: right. Well,
1: my, are you going to get the perfect scenario? You're going to get a a something that's going to be unfounded until you get to fall. I don't know.
2: Yeah, my my perfect scenario might be AVT becoming an outstanding left tackle, and then you don't have to worry about the position. And someone like uh, Voorhees or Jimmins or whoever works out at left tackle, uh, left guard, and Things And things work out okay. But I'm kind of with you where, and I, I don't think that the perfect situation has to be Jason Rodriguez winning the left tackle spot. But if like Jalen McKenzie outright wins sure, it yeah. right away, and then you have Jason Rodriguez is ready to be the right tackle. and He's you able feel to play sp-
1: one of them, right?
2: One of the two. Yeah. If Jason Rodriguez is able to play one of the two, then you feel a lot better about the future of the offensive line. The thing that I 100%. think that... Yeah, the thing that I think that 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 is really complicated when you're looking at USC's offense is the the number of these guys who can leave after this after this year. So if you want to start talking about 2021 and the potential of Keaton Slovis as a junior and all of these things that you can discuss, uh, AVT can can be gone. Brett Nealon can be gone. Jalen McKenzie J- Jalen McKenzie can be gone. Andrew Voorhees can be gone. Um, all of these guys can be gone after one year if things go really well. And I don't think all of them will go, but you you probably are going to lose AVT, you probably could lose another another one or two and having one of the younger guys step up and be really viable like Jason Rodriguez would just put you in a much more steady spot for the future. So I'm with you that that sounds like a a, a best case scenario is the young guy steps up into that role and then you have a, a largely unchanged uh, unchanged offensive line lineup, and you just go ahead from there. Um, but the difficulty here is that there are so many different combinations that. Yep. It's just it's just hard to imagine which one will actually be because we we haven't seen enough of Jason Rodriguez. We haven't seen enough of Avt at at tackle. Uh, maybe it turns out that he's awesome there, and all of this conversation is is not even worth it because he's awesome there. Uh, so. Right. It's tough. I, I'm glad you brought up Justin Dietrich. I wanted to, to get one thing out there. I feel bad for Justin Dietrich because Gino Canones isn't going to be available for spring camp, which means I'm not sure how much Justin Dietrich is going to be able to branch out to guard again. USC doesn't have enough centers. They only have Brett heal Like, uh, Clay Helton was talking about how, like, uh, ABT and, and I think it was Jalen McKenzie are practicing snapping. And we know that Andrew Voorhees has practiced snapping before. But, like will they let justin dedic make a run at starting at guard if they don't have another center to hold up the the second team offensive line i'm not sure
1: yeah that that's uh, that would be absolutely a blunder there and probably play into the worst case scenario which is probably you know aside from an injury uh the worst case scenario is that avt doesn't stick at left tackle um that the, the raw guys are still a little raw. They still need a little bit more development, and another year under their belt. Um, and then you you have to go out and you get that transfer in the summer, uh, and you don't have a spring of Justin Diedic at guard to cement another move inside that you would feel comfortable with. Um, that's what you probably want to avoid. So a lot of things on the table for USC on that offensive line. The good thing is there's a lot of players, there's a lot of experience it's just not necessarily experience everywhere you want it to be. Um, and like you said, it, it's, it's very, <laughs> uh, temporary. If, if you want to put it that way, yeah. because, you know, you know, we, we talk about how 2020 can be very good for USC because so many, so many players are coming back, 17 starters, you know, you, you can say that that number should be higher or lower depending on who actually ends up starting. But, it's one of those situations, too, where so many of the of the key players in 2020 are going to be gone next year. Tano is probably gone after this year going to the NFL, right? He's probably your best player on defense. Palier Naoteote might be your best player on defense also. He could go. Um, Amara St. Brown could go. All these linemen could go. Your running backs could all leave. Like, this is a, a weird situation for USC to be in, and which just puts more pressure on the young guys to uh to to come through and save the day for USC on the offensive line uh which rolls us into what is your biggest concern for the Trojans going into spring camp
2: just seeing something different um my my, my biggest concern would be going through spring camp and feeling like nothing has changed and that it's all the same and that uh you've changed out your your staff and there really isn't a, a noticeable difference in in tone, in uh, practice, in uh, just, the, I, don't, I don't know, whatever it is that you're, you're the vibe that we're getting from, from the players, that would be my big concern. Right. I don't think, my thing about that, to be fair, is that generally you come out of spring camp feeling good because it generally is good like the, the spring camp always feels positive uh but uh yeah i just i really need to see something positive something something to cling to 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 get into fall camp to the point where i'm not dreading the start of the season cuz the closer and closer we get to september the closer and closer we get to alabama and uh i may start to dread the coming of the season if usc doesn't give me some really positive things to, to to hold on to. Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I well, I don't know. I don't want to recreate the the drop. Like, I actually think this is the case of optimistic Alicia. <laughs> I may be like, I I don't want to be pessimistic.
1: My only thing is, you know, we we can sit here and say this team needs to practice more physically. They need to practice you know, more, with more energy, with more urgency, with more, all of these things, there's a good chance that this spring is not optically different than last spring for multiple reasons. Number one, everyone raved that they did those things last year. Number two, there's, like we've talked about, there's restrictions on exactly how physical they can be. Um, there's injuries at play here. There's all these things. And I know that those People are probably rolling their eyes. There's always going to be those things. Sure, 100. What I'm saying is I don't know that they that they can do anything in the spring to completely win over the doubters, and rightfully so. This spring, I mean, th- this whole season is going to all be about winning over the doubters on Saturdays in games. That's how you. That's how you prove that that if you're Clay Helton, that you should still have this job is to win games on Saturdays. And so I don't know that I I guess my biggest concern over spring camp to to go off of what you're saying is, is that there's not enough to feel confident that things have changed. And I would just say that maybe because you just can't possibly get enough out of just spring camp, especially when spring camp is always going to be what it is, right? It's going to be full of precautions. It's going to be PR. It's always PR. We're always hearing Positive stories, every single university, every single football team has those same spring camp stories. The defense is, is their toughest they've ever been, They're the most aggressive they've ever been. The, the, this is the best spring workouts they've ever had. Every single school is saying this stuff. Not just USC, every single school is saying this stuff. You hear it every single spring, and it's easy to buy into those things because those are the talking points. So, all I'm saying is... I guess my biggest concern to piggyback on you uh is that it 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 might not look drastically different. To which I would say just take a deep breath because it the fall is going to decide anyways.
2: Yeah, that's that's absolutely a fair perspective. Um to throw out something that's a little bit more tangible that I was thinking of while you were putting it out there. Um the biggest concern for spring camp has got to be injuries, right? Yeah, uh, because, quarterback. I think.
1: Well, even like, if it like, are there even going to be enough reps for for the quarterback? And we, we don't know. Like, Keen Slovis isn't officially going to be limited, but we know that he had off season surgery. Does that thing kind of flare up? Uh, what if JT is more limited than we think he is? And and what if Matt Fink goes down? Then what happens with your quarterbacks or whatnot? Mm-hmm. Like, that's just one position. But like the running backs, like you mentioned earlier too. Like, this well, is a concern
2: even- in general. Even wide receivers, you know, you feel really good with Tyler Vons and Drake and, and Drake London and, and Amon Ra St. Brown. But like, what if Amon Ra and or Tyler Vons go down? Then you're looking at, well, uh, well, sure, you've got Bruce McCoy and you've got Kyle Ford and you've got Gary Bryant Jr. And you're excited about them. But there's a lot of unknown quantities in USC's uh, skill positions and and you don't know necessarily what you have on the defensive side of the ball. What if Isaiah Pullum goes down? What if, uh, you know, what if J. two Fele goes out? There, there, there are some. USC has avoided the, with the exception of J. T. Daniels, I think USC has avoided the big killer injury during the off season, uh, thing for a few years now, and that's got you know that's the thing that's the the thing that you can never prepare for.
1: Yeah, I pressed the button a little too early. I'm gonna press it again right now.
2: Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I didn't even bring up ABT. What if ABT gets injured? Uh, All right, all right, all right.
1: Most intriguing player, I will say it's got to be Daniel Wanderbebe. What is he going to do uh, over at tight end? Hey,
0: baby, hey, baby, hey, baby, hey, baby, hey, baby.
2: Oh, I love that drop back. Love it. Uh, I I think you are right about Daniel Bebe. I don't know. The, the, this could end any one of a thousand ways. He could be the you know the next um uh who was oh jeez who was the center who came back as a tight end. Um I oh you're talking about Cyrus Hobby? Cyrus Hobby. He could be the next Cyrus Hobby who is like hey he's going to turn up as a tight end and then he just he never played. So whatever. Um uh, he could come out and be everything that we thought he was going to be and and become a Mackey award winner and all the things like he could be the starter from day one, or he could just be a guy who never sees the field. There's so many different possibilities for Daniel Amaterbebe. And frankly, until we see him get through, you know, 15 practices in a row, I will not believe that Daniel Amaterbebe will actually be available for USC at any point in 2020. Um, So yes, intrigue, intrigue all around, up and down, everywhere. Um, as for me, uh, outside of Daniel Mataba, I'm going to throw out um, Solomon Tulia Pupu, just because, again, s- sort of similar vein. Dude's been injured for two straight years with the same injury, so is he going to be? A, is he gonna, Last year he practiced for a week. Can and you he say looked, three? He got hurt in high school. Well, this that's true. That's true. So last year he practiced for a week and he looked damn good, but only for a week. <laughs> So, if he can be out there and practicing and showing what he can do and really look like a player who can win a starting job in, in what is actually a crowded field, because USC returns Palai and Aoteote, they return Kanai Mauga. I've already said I really like Raylan Goforth. Um, Jordan Iasefa will be back for fall camp. Um, there are a lot of guys vying for those positions. So, Solomon Tulia Pupu is another guy where if he gets through the spring you're looking at your next starter but just as easily we may not even see him on the field we have no idea so I'm I'm looking out for him quite a bit again this year
1: yeah all of those those guys have a, a shot to really you know step into the spotlight here another guy I'll throw out here is Drake Jackson what is happening with Drake Jackson what position is he going to play in this defense is he going to be on the edge outside as a stand-up kind of linebacker edge guy? Is he going to be a defensive lineman with his hand in the dirt? How does he fit this defense? I think that's going to be really intriguing for me. Also, Paliye Naoteote. He needs a strong spring after uh, whatever that was in the fall. That uh, was not what we expected. We th- we thought he could have been USC's best player last year. Him and Talano Hufanga, we thought far and away we we're going to be USC's best players on defense. Hufanga uh, was. Naoteote, not quite uh you you could maybe make it make an argument he might have been USC's worst starter uh, on on defense which is insane to think about given what we talked about going into the season.
2: Yeah, I mean he was certainly USC's biggest disappointment in 2019 and so I I'm with you this spring camp seeing where do they where do they line him up? Do they have a position that suits him better than the Mike in 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 Pendergast scheme uh, ultimately worked out with him. Um he, he is somebody who we need to see almost rehabilitate himself because last season was so disappointing. Uh, but we know his talent is there. We know it's it's immense talent. So hopefully he it, it pays off for him. But that's going to be, you know, I think a lot of that will come down to fit.
1: Alicia, which player are you just strictly looking forward to the most to watch? Just in the general sense, who are you looking forward to most?
2: Well, I mean... Is it, is it lazy to say my guy bye? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, my guy bye. Um you know, I, there, there are a lot of guys that that I want to see play. One that popped into my head while I was listening to Dante Williams, the new cornerbacks coach, talk about, you know, I, I asked him like what it, what is he looking for in a in a corner? and he went on this entire long thing about like, you got to love the game and you got to like fight for it and put your body on the line for it and all this kind of things. And the whole time I'm listening to him talk, I'm thinking like, this dude's going to love Max Williams. Like the whole thing, I was just thinking like Max Williams fits this. He's not the biggest, fastest, strongest, but he, he has a, a great attitude, right? And so I'm very curious to see what Max Williams can do. Fully healthy this spring. Um, I really enjoyed what we saw from him in the cameo appearances that that, you know he's I believe he started the Washington game, had a really bright start, and had a sack
1: on that drive. Yeah, and and
2: I, I loved what I saw from him. So I'm very intrigued to see where he fits in this defense. He's listed as a cornerback nickelback. And you know, Greg Johnson is there and he's established as a starter at nickelback, but I I'm curious to see if Max Williams can fight his way into a battle whether it's at Nickelback or Corner I I have pretty high hopes for him. He's a guy that I like. Uh so I'm in, I I I'm looking forward to see what he can do uh with a uh, uh, being able to make his first impression on this new staff and and see where he goes from there because I I've I have he has been very promising to me.
1: Yeah, 100% he's someone who can make plays and uh, how does he make plays for the Trojans going forward, especially in the spring is going to be a question. Uh, for me, it's Brew McCoy, uh, someone with, who was ballyhooed for so long while at, at Modern Day and USC signs him, and then he immediately leaves to Texas. He had a good spring at Texas, by all accounts, and he comes back to USC, and then he had something that—some sort of illness, uh, presumably not the coronavirus, but something— uh, and now here he is, he's healthy and fully ready to go, We're in the number four. Uh, what is he going to do for USC on offense? I think in a perfect situation, he just replaces Michael Pittman. And not that you can replace Michael Pittman, but you replace the, the spot of, for him on the field. Um, obviously not his production, but it's a start to replace Michael Pittman's production. Uh, Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford can probably both do that together, but... Those two guys, really, Bru McCoy and Kyle Ford. How how are they able to participate and to fit into the offense?
2: I mean, for sure, and it's really going to be the the first real look we get of Bru McCoy. In you know, you, you got to believe he's going to be in in good shape at this point, fully over that that very very odd illness that he had, and he's going to have those opportunities. Not just because Michael Pittman's gone, but, you know, Drake Drake London's going to be with the basketball team. So there is, you know, room to eat there if Drake London isn't there. And, and the competition between the likes of Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford and Drake London and all these guys, Gary Bryant Jr., all all of them who are going to be fighting for opportunities. And they will have tons of reps possible because, again, still USC doesn't have enough wide receivers to do all of the things that Graham Harrell is Used to doing with with uh, his practice style, so they're gonna get a lot of reps, and Bru McCoy will be fun to see how he what he does with those.
1: Yep, one hundred percent. Uh, last one, last superlative. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose? What do you got?
2: Um, oof. well, the most to gain is is probably someone like Bru McCoy or Gary Bryan Jr. or Kyle Ford. Uh, because they are going to be looking for somebody in that third wide receiver spot. And Michael Pittman and Drake London aren't there. So, you know, Tyler Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown are, are going to be pretty established. But if Amon Ross St. Brown is also limited, then again, more reps available. So uh, the most to gain has got to be one of those one of those wide receivers. Uh, aside from, you know, uh, someone I mentioned earlier, someone like Britton Allen with Talano Hifanga out for the spring. Uh, someone like Chase Williams, those guys who are going to be fighting for a spot in the rotation at safety. Yeah, I, I like Isaiah
1: Polamow, uh, for someone to gain. He's already got a starting job, so I guess in that sense you can kind of uh, refute this and say he's already got a starting job. What else can he gain? I think he can gain um, stature on this team in terms of maybe being a potential captain, right? Like on defense and a leader of this team. We saw him... With interceptions in three straight games down the stretch last year, he really paved his way to being a cornerstone of that defense. He can take another step forward and really solidify his spot next to Talanoa Hufanga and really, you know, enable him to be um, part of one of the best safety duos in the country next year. And what does that mean for his spot on the team? Like I said, does does that make him? you know one of these defensive leaders is that making one of the best players on the team those are the kind of things that we need to see from him because we still need to see him break the uh the the whole injury plague thing right he's he missed two years he got through all of last year i feel like he need to get through all of last year and a spring camp to truly shed the whole injury plague moniker
2: for sure, especially when you're dealing with you know shoulder injuries both times. Um, right. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of guys out there who need to shed that label. But you are correct that, and th- and that's the thing is you know we talk about it. Talano Fonga is this is the best player on the field for USC. Isaiah Pullamao, when he was coming out, was looked at as the guy who was the 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 the, the, the potential star, and he can reclaim that um, if he has a big enough spring. He's, he, you know, uh, if we think about like the who has the most to gain thing, maybe, maybe if I frame it in the sense of like who could be this year's Cheninowosu or Porter Gustin, where you look at them coming out of spring and go, man, they're ready to be an All American. Like Isaiah Plum out could be that guy. He really could be, especially in this in this new defense that is going to be aggressive with the safeties, that's going to rely on the safeties. To do a lot of uh, of of the blitzing and to make it be the playmakers, yeah, I think you're right uh, that Isaiah Palmao has has a lot to gain as well, certainly on that defense, um, in in all of those facets, leadership, playing star power, all of that. Yeah, most
1: to lose, I think it's got to be J T. Daniels. Uh, this is no secret. Um, he's going to be limited. There's only so much he can do. Keaton Slovis, if he just develops at a normal rate even though it looks like he's got superstar development um there's a little madden reference for you uh if he just develops normally i think he's going to be able to put on a sizable distance for JT to truly overcome him in the fall if JT's even full a full participant in the fall uh that that's still to be uh to be answered so th- this is this is tough for for uh for JT especially in how it relates to Matt Fink i think that if you're Matt Fink there's a chance that you could be the number two. You're gonna get number two reps just because you're gonna be able to be healthy enough for it. But is there a is there a chance that Fink, you know, gets past JT? I, probably not, right? But but I mean that opportunity's there. Like how JT can't fight fight off Matt Fink until the fall either. Well,
2: and JT is gonna to have to deal with the mental side of his game uh overcoming the, the the that injury the thing you hear from guys with the ACL injury is it's always about trust trusting the knee again and for a quarterback it has to be about trusting the pocket and trusting that when you get hit you won't you know do it again have, have your have your knee destroyed again so um JT has to prove that he can be the quarterback that he was uh before the injury and if not you know better than the quarterback that he was before the injury so if if he's not able to take those steps in the spring, then he is going to be pretty far behind as far as the the competition uh, for the quarterback uh, going forward. But this is where I flip it around on its head, though, and I say that Keen Slovis has the most to lose because wow, he does. He's the starting quarterback. Wow, Rec- record setting, um, Pac twelve records, USC records, best freshman in the country last year. He is the golden boy. He is the golden child. And this is his spring where he can come out and take hold of that and be the dude. And, you know, last year we we looked at spring and said, JT's the dude. But we got through the end of spring camp and it was like, meh, no one's really standing out of the four quarterbacks. No one's really taken this by the by taking the reins necessarily and made it absolutely their own. Well. If Keaton Slovis leaves the door open for JT Daniels going into fall, then that'll be a, quite a bit on what was he able to accomplish in the spring. Because he could come out in, in the spring and just absolutely look like the dude like you like you talked about. You know what it is? But if he doesn't...
1: Keaton Slovis is a closer who's coming in with a six-run lead. So
2: there's he's, six he's runs to lose.
1: He's got the most to lose in the sense that he's got that six-run lead. There's no reason to expect that he's going to blow it. He, if he gets a shut down inning and looks impressive, then the the whole thing's in the bag for him. It. I just. Who who who's betting that he's not going to do it though? Like I, I think barring injury, I don't see any way in which Keaton doesn't at least get through there without maybe maybe allows a run, but like. But that's like like if he loses it and it's not injury, then what does that even look like?
2: Stagnation. If, if if he goes out there and is making the wrong reads and throwing interceptions and
1: could this could this be that uh the trust effect that we talked about before, like with quarterbacks that Yeah. You know, like like uh senior quarterbacks, we see this we saw it with uh with Sam Darnold, we saw it with Sam Darrin wasn't a senior, but he was someone going into year two. Uh, we saw it definitely with with Matt Barkley in, in his senior season, where you get so much trust from your coach who believes in you and knows that you can do things. So many responsibilities that you're allowed to take more risks, and those more risks equal more problem areas. We saw this with, with JT with uh, with Sam, and where I think of the Stanford game in in 2017, the first one. He makes two awful throws, two god awful interceptions where he's throwing on his back foot. Where, if you know, freshman year, retro freshman year, uh, Sam Darnold is finding a way to make a play and he's going to scramble and he's going to gain seven yards or whatever and he's going to make something out of nothing. But when you get to year two as a starter and you're told that, you know, you're good and trust your instincts more. You're allowed to be like, I'm going to wait in the pocket and kind of force something because I know I'm good enough to do it. And then you end up throwing two god-awful interceptions against Stanford or you're throwing off your back foot because you think, I have the arm strength to make this throw. Maybe I will. And you can't or you don't or whatever, because that's a hard throw to make. And there's a reason that only Aaron Rodgers can make that throw, you know? So like, that's one of these situations where I could see that happening. I cannot necessarily see that playing out in a spring camp. That would be I, uh, more that, games kind of deal.
2: Yeah. No, that's fair. I. I, I, unless, I unless... I agree that it's unlikely.
1: Know, we we, we did talk about Keaton in, in fall where he made mistakes and then learned from those mistakes. Maybe he's someone who pushes the issue uh, in, in spring camp on purpose to see how far he can go and try to learn from those mistakes and and... You know, crash and burn in that sense. Maybe that's what Keaton Slovis's mo ends up being.
2: I mean, it's entirely possible. I don't know. I mean, you'd rather. I, have I, crash I know and in burn.
1: that. In, in that, you'd rather have him do that in the spring than the yeah. fall. Yeah. But but in the in the video that, that USC just put out, uh, Graham Harrell was saying that his biggest problem is uh, not making the right decision. So bad reads and taking bad too many reads, sets. So like... That would make me think that, if anything, Keaton Slovis is, is, is top priority this spring is is to be a little bit smarter. Which, I mean, we ha- we give a lot of praise for how smart and poised he was, so if he can only improve on that in the spring, that'll be a good thing. Uh, let's take a quick break, we'll come back and talk about USC's new coaching staff, then we'll get into the mailbag and wrap this thing up. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our Radio. It's talking about USC's new coaching staff. So many of USC's new coaches were available to the media last week. Alicia, you were there on hand at the McKay Center to talk to everybody: uh, Todd Orlando, Craig Niver, Dante Williams, Vic Soto, uh, Sean Snyder, Graham Harrell, and John David Baker. What was your big
2: takeaway? My big takeaway that it's Vic Soto. Because <laughs> uh, they they introduced him with uh, with missing the the syllable, and he said, uh, "Just for the record, it's Sooto." So we got to be careful about that one.
1: He said, "Really?" Because yeah. so I, you know me, I care about these things a lot, and I was watching interviews with him from like BYU radio things, and they all call him Soto. and maybe it's just so subtle, Sooto.
2: Yeah, I think if you like say it. Like together, it sort of blends like right. Soto, Sure. Soto, Soto. Huh.
0: But yeah, he really emphasized
2: Soto. So, Oto. so huh. you know, I mean, that wasn't the only More. interesting thing about the interview. <laughs> was, I would, I would hope not. Yeah. Um, no, like I said earlier, uh, the 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 tone from USC's new coaches, particularly the defensive coaches, was all very on brand. Uh, they were all talking about. Uh, a few things. The, the the number one thing they were all talking about is being physical and aggressive and uh, Vic Saoto's favorite word is violent, which he is one of those dudes who like seems like a silent assassin where he talked very calmly, very kind of monotone, very just sort of steady but like the words he was saying were intense. Like he talked about like violence and uh, when I put my hands on somebody like they move back or anything I put my hands on, it, it, it goes backwards. And, you know, just having that kind of attitude. And he talked about how the the defensive linemen are going to hate him before they like him. And all of those things that you sort of want to hear from a coach being a being a, a tough guy, I guess. And so hopefully the guys respond to that. But all of the defensive coaches were talking really about toughness and physicality and, and being aggressive and, and loving the game and, and putting your passion into the game and all of those kinds of things. Um, they also talked a lot about recruiting. And the messaging from everybody was, you have to do it every day. Um, Craig Niver had the, the 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 quote, recruiting is like shaving. If you don't do it every day, you look like crap. Uh, Dante Williams talked about how he is recruiting every second of the day that he's awake. And it's not 23. If he's awake for 24 hours, he's recruiting for 24 hours. When he goes to sleep at 2 a.m., he's thinking about oh, well, I'm recruiting this kid that's on the East Coast who I know wakes up at 5, so I'm going to shoot him a text right now before I go to sleep so that he, I'm checking in with him. And it's those kinds of things that, that they very much uh, emphasize. And so uh, while, you know, you look at a lot of the things they talk about with the toughness and physicality and all that kind of stuff, you hear that from every coach. You never hear a, a coach say, oh, we don't want to be tough. Uh, but, um the uh, the 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 other thing that that I really enjoyed hearing was the idea of recruiting and putting in the energy all day every day and understanding that's what it takes to recruit guys in, in this uh, in this environment. So that's something USC desperately needs, and hopefully it's something that uh, you know these guys are going to be able to to bring to the table.
1: Yeah, if SC really wants to improve their recruiting. They're going to have to do. All the nitty-gritty and and work at it every single day to get better, along with improving on the field. Uh, And talking about these coaches, let's go through all the coaches that that you got to meet last week. One by one, your first impressions. in
2: rapid fire, like, one sentence. Tyler Orlando. He really was hitting home the physicality stuff in a very believable way, and I enjoyed his sort of scoff over non padded practices. So, Craig Niver, um, f- <laughs> seemed like a fun guy, funny. He called himself odd or off. Uh, I I sort of got that, but in a in a kind of relatable way. Yeah, I
1: I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him yeah. a lot. Uh, I enjoyed Dante Williams as well. Uh Dante Williams had one of the interesting moments in which he tried to recruit you for a second. <laughs> uh which if if you watch the press conferences, that was that was very enjoyable for me. I was cracking up. Well but, you were uh, cracking up your... when he asked
2: when he thought I was five six. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> uh, what is not. uh what,
1: what's your takeaway of, of Dante Williams?
2: Don I, I get why he's such a great recruiter. Because he's so personable he has seems to say the right thing every time and uh, and and you there's a authenticity to him that you get straight away uh, in, a, in a in an energy there's a vibe he's got a really nice vibe uh, to, to be around.
1: yeah, cool vibes
2: bro yeah uh Vic Soto uh, on the defensive line uh, you
1: mentioned he was the quiet assassin. I thought of all the people he seemed the, the least engaged. But I think that was strictly because he was so quiet. I think that, that's just probably how he is. Uh, he was saying all the right things. All these guys were really saying all the right things. But what was your uh, your your take for Vic?
2: Yeah, quietly intense. Like, he was... You want to talk about someone's, like, energy. He was very quiet, soft-spoken, but intense. Every word out of his mouth sounded like it was just... There was an intensity that that sort of... Boiling underneath.
1: Yeah. I I think that probably carried more so in the room than on like Periscope. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, more more power to him. Uh, Sean Snyder, uh, who Craig Niver said that, you know, gave him huge rave reviews about, uh, about coaching against him, saying that he's extremely detailed and does a great job of getting guys to play hard and buy into their roles. He's damn good at what he does. And I'm fired up. We got him here. That's what Craig Niver said. Uh, What say you about uh, Sean Snyder, special teams coordinator?
2: Yeah, he he came across as someone who sort of has has been around the block, knows what he's doing. Uh, I I thought (laughs) we got a a tweet from Dave in Orange County. How hard was Snyder's slam of Baxter and not having enough players on the field for special teams? Um, That was maybe one of the highlights of the day when he was asked about that kind of thing, and he was just, I don't allow that. It's not acceptable. It won't happen. Um. Uh, so he's, yeah, he, he seems to have his stuff together.
1: Yeah, I like that he was talking about being smart. And I know a lot of these things are just things that are easy to say in a press conference. But, you know, he was asked about, about uh, kick returns and fair catches. And last year, John Baxter's thing was, we're going to return literally everything. Because fair catches are risky, according to John Baxter, as an actual quote. And I like Sean Snyder was like, well, obviously we want to return anything in, in a you know perfect world and whatnot, but like at the same point, they're going to be smart about it. You're not going to return anything from nine yards deep. But also he said that, so something that, that caught my eye, which was or piqued my interest in my ear, I guess. But sometimes the situation depends on what, you, I mean, you know, gives you a clue of what you should do. Sometimes if your offense has been backed up, you know, multiple times in a row you just want to take the fair catch or take a knee or something to get the ball out to the 25 so you don't put pressure on them again and I thought that was a really interesting thought and something that you know I couldn't have imagined John Baxter saying because I think John Baxter's response would be well that's when we really want to return it so that way we can give them a long return which not always is the right answer there so I I I like Sean Snyder a lot. Um, Graham Harrell got to talk. We obviously have seen him before. He's not the new uh, offensive coordinator for the Trojans, but he got to come back and be in the uh, the new coach press conference. Uh, any thoughts on Graham Harrell?
2: Yeah, same old, same old. Uh, Graham Harrell is, is who he is, and uh, he was sort of saying a lot of the same things that we've heard as far as year two in this system, and getting everybody up to speed and, and feeling like they really, really know exa- exactly what they're, what they're throwing out there and getting better and better at it each day. So um, yeah, not, not much uh, stood out about, about what he said, except for some sort of personnel things and really pumping up uh, Elijah Vera Tucker as a, as a leader and a guy who could get a look at left tackle and, and those kinds of things. But uh, you know, he is who he is and we sort of know who he is and, He's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm doing a little Graham Harreling right now where I don't know how to end. I I
1: said, give me, give me one sentence and you've given me like 12.
2: Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly. Well,
1: the other thing with Graham I, I thought was refreshing was to hear the openness and the honesty about him being, um, a candidate for different jobs. He was very clear. He wants to be a head coach someday. And he thought he always wanted to be a high school coach. And then he kind of became a college coach. So now he sees himself as a college head coach. And I like that ambition. I like the honesty. And I, I think maybe I'm I'm speaking for myself a little bit too too much here. But I think in this USC fan base, I think there's a lot of people who kind of respect it from Graham Harrow in the sense of like he's – He's becoming a commodity. Everyone knows he's a commodity. He's very forward with with what he says. He's very honest. Uh, he's not lying about taking these jobs and listening. To these, I mean, listening to these job opportunities and and getting interviewed. But he's very honest that that if he's going to go somewhere, it needs to be a better spot than he is in now. And I think that's a the smart thing for his for him as a person and him in his career. Because yeah, at some point there's going to be a better job offer than the USC head, uh, offensive coordinator job, and it would behoove him to take it. He has not been offered that job yet, and when he does, he's going to take it. And he's telling everybody right now he's going to take that when it comes, um, and to get ready for it. And I think USC will be in better spot if they're if they heed all these warnings and get prepared for that sort of thing. But I, I just I like the open and honesty. It's not the I don't speak about myself. I don't only talk about the moment kind of deal. It was, he was forward. He was honest. And that I, I found that enjoyable.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and it's, it's nice to hear from him the reasons why he stayed and feeling, you know, feeling like he's not giving you BS or anything like that. He's leveling with you when he talks about why he stayed and, and, what it would take for him to leave? Yeah,
1: I one hundred percent think he's being honest about the reasons that he's he's staying when he tells you all the reasons why he would leave, and and those reasons are like you know it's got to be a better job opportunity for my long term and and whatnot, and it's all done in a respectable way. But I think that that adds credence to the things that he says about the reasons he stays, which I think is a good thing. Uh John David Baker. Uh, USC's new tight ends coach, someone who's joined uh, at the hip with Graham Harrell, uh, the new tight ends coach. Your thoughts there, Alicia?
2: Yeah, he he's never coached tight ends before, but I I think he had a, a good answer about transitioning to that position group. Being a quarterbacks coach by trade, uh, he had to like a quarterback know everything that uh, that everybody else on the field was doing at all times. So. He's already familiar with the tight end position in a lot of ways because he had to be as a quarterback's coach. So um, we'll see how he does. Uh, absolutely, we'll see how he does. But I, I thought he did a, a pretty good job of expressing himself uh, in that role uh, in this uh, sort of opening press opportunity.
1: Yeah, I liked how we talked about the tight end uh, position. You know, he said that that at North Texas, their tight end played on the field like 85% of the snaps and that last year really came down to, as you mentioned earlier, uh, there wasn't a tight end that showed that, that made the case for them to be involved in the passing game more. Uh, and I think that, that that is a fair look at it. And then we talk about Eric Kromahook and Eric Kromahook is very good at what he is, which is a blocking first tight end. And when they use him as an H back, I think he's very good in that position. And as long as they keep him in that role and, and you know what you're you're getting out of him. Fantastic. He's a great blocker. He can be used as, as a pass catcher more. Absolutely. But is he going to be uh, Travis Kelsey? No. And Eric Cromanhoek would tell you he's not Travis Kelsey either, right? So you, you look at it and you look at this team last year and we talked about how, well, Drake London essentially was the tight end. And John David Baker kind of, you know, said that that was the case. He kind of insinuated it, saying that last year they felt they were a better offense with four receivers on the field instead of a tight end. And with that fourth receiver being the inside guy, and it being Drake London inside, he was essentially taking the job of the tight end. And even if it wasn't tit for tat there, um, it really was the case. They they thought that that gave them the best opportunity to move the football. And it was probably the correct situation. Um, and I know that you know a lot of people want Josh Follow on the field more and whatnot, but when you look at what Drake London gave to the team, I don't know how you can say that you wanted less Drake London.
2: And I loved that John David Baker was willing to say that about his position group. In, in, again, in in a way that you feel like he's just leveling, leveling with you because, you know, he, he's not going to go up there and say, yeah, we're going to get the tight end more involved. No, he came up and said, we'll get the tight end more involved when these guys earn it, when these guys force us to. Ah, uh, the same way that Drake London forced them to put him on the field, and whether that's Josh Fallow or Jude Wolf or Ethan Ray or Daniel Arabebe or Jack Yeri or Eric Cromenhog, you know, one of those guys is going to have to step up and 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 force USC's hand, force Graham Harrell to want to use them, and I think that is an absolutely. Uh, uh, the right way to 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 approach your your offense when you have as many weapons as usc does like the people who were like complaining about the tight end not getting more uh, attention last year I-, I never understood it and and i am a well-known you know tight end lover but i never understood this idea of like getting the tight end involved for the tight end's sake like for the position right, like, i just thing don't about- agree
1: it's the same thing about people wanting them to run more last year. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they could have run more last year. But A, <laughs> in Game 7, they lost their top three running backs, bam, 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 in a blink of an eye. That played a huge role. Number two, they struggled to run the ball at times. And so it's hard to say that they should run the ball when they struggled to run the ball at times and they lost almost all of their experienced running backs at one point. Like, though, You don't run just to run the football You run to be effective And you do what is effective And you do what is going to give you a better chance To win the football games And what gave USC a better chance of winning football games Last year down the stretch Was to have Keaton Slovis throw for 400 yards a game It, it wasn't about padding stats It was about giving USC a better opportunity To win football games That's what it did
2: Yeah, absolute agreement for me
1: All right. Uh, Take a quick break. Go to the mailbag. We'll come right back and finish this thing off there. You've got mail. (laughs) All right, Alicia, let's start with a tweet we got from Dave in Orange County. How are you all doing on the, quote, getting sucked back into thinking we're going to be good scale after last week's chat with the coaching staff?
2: Uh <laughs> um my mantra is still don't be a sucker don't buy in uh even having listened to those guys i i'm I, I don't think it's i don't think it's getting sucked back in when i sit there and say i still look at the schedule and think usc has eight wins on the table minimum uh d- d- I, maybe that's being too optimistic maybe that's getting sucked back in but I think all you need is a defense that is sort of at a steady level uh, and and you're going to have a team that's half decent. I think for me, getting sucked in would mean suddenly believing USC is going to win 10 games and I'm definitely not there. So I'm going to call myself a 5 out of 10 on the getting sucked back in scale.
1: Yeah, this is still an 8 or 9 win team. Uh, they can be a, They can be higher than that. They can be lower than that. Being certain that they are a 10-win team or being certain that they're like a, a five-win team means that you're trying to sell something. Uh, this is an eight or nine-win team, maybe seven at the worst, but that's what that's what their range is. That's just what they are right now. They need to prove that they are better or worse than that, um, and those coaches all said the right things, and more power to them for all saying the right things. A lot of it was refreshing. Uh But we've reached the point in this coaching staff. We all know uh, everything comes down to Saturdays, not random Tuesdays in the middle of March. So I I don't see the point of getting sucked back in because it's all going to come down to Saturdays. And I know that's going to be really boring. And it's going to be the really lazy outs and and all that kind of stuff on this team until the fall. But that's the bottom line. They're going to be judged on Saturdays. Not necessarily what they said in a press conference in March, even if they're saying all the right things and there are reasons to like their progress going forward, reasons to think this is the better coaching staff and all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, football games will be their decider. Uh, Dave in Orange County also says, we've seen the love fest on Twitter with the coaches were saying. Was there anything that they said that made you double take or think, well, I don't think they answered that correctly?
2: Um, nothing in particular, although I was disappointed with the number of times we heard from the coaches when they were asked about things that happened in previous years, where they would say, you know, we're looking forward, not back. I get that line. I get that they're going to say that they're going to, they're not going to want to answer those questions, but I, I, you know, sometimes you want to hear what people think about where they were in the, in, in the past and. Like I would have liked to have hear from heard from Todd Orlando a little bit more about what went wrong at, at Texas and you know I think there 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 might have been more satisfying ways to answer those but in general I don't think there was anything in particular that um that made me go like oof that's that's the wrong answer
1: yeah these guys have all been around the block and they know what to say at this point uh, I don't think they're gonna put their foot in the mouth uh that quickly I, I yeah the only thing you could say is like. Craig Niver and, and Dante Williams not wanting to, you know, talk about Oregon and Texas a lot. But like you said, that's the nature of the business. So that's just going to be how it is. Uh, let's go to a tweet from King Camby. Uh, the Trojans always have had great music provided by the, by the Trojan Marching Band. But is there an opportunity for entrance music? I always get the chills when Vatek comes in to enter Sandman so, this is interesting because USC doesn't actually take the field to the band plane. Uh, they have taken the field to a number of different songs of late. I can't remember what it was. Uh, wasn't it? Um, it was a Motley Crue song last year. It was, ah, um, oh, it's killing me.
2: Wasn't it just was like it kick-start a Kickstart Your Heart? What I think that? it was Kickstart Your Heart by, by Motley Crue last year. Was it? I I, I just think I'm of pretty the, sure. the video, the, the introduction video was just like one of those generic like here they come No, it was kind Kickstart Your Heart, or,
1: or at least it was like some hip hop song that sampled Kickstart Your Heart, which I'm just going to say it was Motley Crue then. Uh, but um, before that, I mean, the best one was always Eminem's Lose Yourself. Yes. That was the best entry song that USC ever had uh enter sandman is great for vatek for, for but i would love them to to come out to lose yourself again but i realize this is me someone born in 1989 talking and not necessarily someone who listens to what the young whippersnappers are listening to today
2: yeah and that's the thing is i i agree with you lose yourself was was a, a, a thing of that era but maybe it it was that era and you know i think you have to find something else for now you know and i don't know what that yeah. something else would be and i don't think it would necessarily satisfy everybody but it, it, it you got to almost find it like organically and sort of find that that perfect fit but how about chocolate rain <laughs> um oh didn't they come out to muse that was it, like a couple years ago. a couple years ago Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. You just have to find the to find the right kind of anthem. And and I don't know what what uh, I, I don't know what it is. I am. A, I, I would agree that you got to have a good a good um intro song. But I think like at this stage, I don't think USC has. Uh, USC really isn't in a, in a position to like have the intro song, you know, the way that Enter Sandman kind of works for Vatek. Yeah. I
1: Hmm. I'm trying to find a tweet. I sent, by the way, I know I sent a tweet about the song and I can't find it. And it's going to kill me. I've got to find the song. Uh, that I, I tweeted about this dang song, about what song it was last year. Uh, I'm going to go to the next question. You can answer that. And while you're thinking of it, I'm going to find it. Uh, a tweet from Shaist who says, I would rather have USC football put, put nameplates on their jerseys or install an artificial turf field. You answer that. I'm doing some Twitter searching.
2: Okay, I'm not a huge fan of Artificial Turf, but at this stage it wouldn't bother me all that much. Um, Especially the new stuff. It's actually pretty decent. It's pretty good. Uh, So I would rather USC go to Artificial Turf than the name plates on the jersey. I uh, have said this before. There are things that I think are part of like USC exceptionalism that I would like to keep intact and not playing FCS teams is one of them, and not having the nameplates on the jerseys is one of them. I love that tradition. I would like to continue that tradition. I don't want to see the names on the jerseys. And so if if the trade-off for me was artificial turf, I would take artificial turf for sure. It, it, would, it wouldn't even be a question for me. Uh, natural grass is great, but... Like, USC playing on natural grass does not feel like the same kind of tradition as, like, the nameplate thing. So, give me that one.
1: Alicia, I found the tweets at 7.37 p.m., August 31st, 2019. Quote, USC taking the field to Motley Crue is dot, 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 unexpected. To which we had a quote, a reply from Mr. Croft92 on Twitter that said, That Skid Row Sunset Strip attitude tonight. Yeah. I see, sure, had it against Fresno State. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Kickstart My Heart. I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, but All yeah, right. I agree. Um, the the nameplates are far and away the thing that is absolutely sacred. I think the grass is sacred, too. I don't think it's in the stratosphere of sacredness.
2: Sacredness? Is that a word? Sacredicity? It's definitely not sure. a word, but we can use it. Yeah. Yeah. I.
1: It bothered me when they put in artificial turf at the shoe. It bothered me when they put it at Notre Dame Stadium. But it's been like 15 years since they did it at Ohio State. It's been five, six, seven, eight years since they did it at Notre Dame. And if you ask me right now if I'm kind of over it, yeah, I'm kind of over it. It sucks if it's not grass, but better that than Notre Dame having named... On the back of their jerseys. And better that than Ohio State wearing black jerseys every game, I guess. So, that's what I'm taking. Uh, tweet from David in Orange County again. Do you anticipate anything new or different with the stadium finally being to ourselves this season? Dave, what are you talking about the stadium? What do you mean the stadium? It's the Coliseum, man. <laughs> it's the Coliseum. <laughs> not the only one. Who calls it the stadium? It's Some the Coliseum.
2: Fan. Sometimes you use Coliseum. a generic term to describe the Coliseum, which is a stadium. No. Mm-hmm. No.
1: You cannot yeah. do that with the Coliseum.
2: To answer no. the question, uh, uh you won't have to see the imprint of the Rams logo underneath the field, underneath the paint, the new paint that USC puts down uh for the for the USC logos. So. Which is
1: really good because you won't have to see that god awful ugly garbage logo that they're gonna have for next season
2: well the new logo is um hmm, less than stellar but uh also not having to see the uh the other hash marks and all that kind of stuff yep. will be nice um i'm sure the grounds creepers at the ua at, at the coliseum will be happy to not have to very quickly rush in after games and uh you know change over the field and all the signage and stuff like that so i wonder if they're going to keep the
1: um the warning track that they had from last season
2: well they i know they were testing out the that it's kind of like a dirt it it's like the, the 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 dirt they use at uh race tracks um where like i don't even know how to describe it it's like a solid dirt <laughs> artificial mud dirt thing
0: whatever sure. it was
2: yeah i liked it well i liked it until i was running uh from one side of the field to the other and stepped inside a hoof print and nearly ate it but uh otherwise i liked it wait you didn't tell us this well cuz i nearly ate it i didn't actually eat it but like yeah when you're running See, we're going to need someone next season, this
1: upcoming season, if you sit on the SC sideline, I need you to just keep an eye on Alicia every single TV timeout, (laughs) watch her run up and down the field, get video of her falling, of her picking boogers, anything.
2: You know what happens more often than me falling? The thing what? that happens way more often than anything is like stuff flying out of my pockets as I'm running. I'm constantly having to turn around and like pick yeah, up like, Yeah, that'd be great. We need oh, to put together water put together. Oh, put there's like a my phone. Oh, you. there's my battery charger.
1: Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be an awesome little reel to put on YouTube. Mm-hmm. People would enjoy it. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Lee. I just want your thoughts on this SC to the Big 12 thing that has popped up over the last couple of days. Oh, boy. I could go on a rant about this. Um, I don't know how much of a rant I'm going to go on it. It's the off-season. This is the time where people uh, speculate on things. So part of it is just that. And, you know, the off-season is the time to talk about, uh, you know, conference realignments, and it's the time to talk about pro rel systems, and it's the time to talk about how we would fix the game and all this kind of stuff, just speculating as consumers of the product. Having said that, the number of stories that have generated out of Mike Bone giving a non-answer on the Peristyle podcast is utterly insane to me. Ryan asked a very simple question to to Mike Bone about um, exploring other opportunities for the conference, uh, about looking elsewhere, and he he gave a very non-vague answer, which was very. He gave the politically correct answer that he had to give, which was, uh, you know, a- anything's on the table in any sort of way, right? Like, in the sense of, you listen to everything. That's just the smart thing to do, right? Like, everything's on the, on a table. It's not Mike Bone. It wasn't Mike Bone saying that he was going to go out and start looking tomorrow for uh, a new conference it wasn't him challenging Larry Scott. It wasn't any of these things. It was him giving a non-answer to a question that Ryan had to ask. And it turned into so many things. And, like, getting twisted about how it was a power move by Bone, all these media outlets from around the country taking it and who didn't listen to the podcast, didn't know the con- the context, and twisted it into the story. And it ultimately, you know... He has to do a rebuttal, and then it turns into this speculation piece weeks later about, you know, maybe the Big 12 can do this because, you know, SC is looking elsewhere. SC's not looking elsewhere. Like, it's, and it's not like they, it's not like they aren't looking elsewhere. It's just that, that's not, it was all from a non-answer. And, well, I don't know. These I, are the things that, agree. They, that drive me insane.
2: I agree that, like, the initial response to it was just like, Okay, I mean, he was saying what he absolutely should say, like, but I think that's where where it's almost to the point where so many USC athletic directors have said the wrong thing that when the athletic director says the right thing, all of a sudden it's like, oh sure. my gosh! Instead of like, if he had said, yeah, no, we're not leaving the, the Pac-12. It's a better answer to say we're leaving everything on the table, but when you say it, it, by saying it, you you do open the door for people to to speculate and. All that kind of stuff. Really? But I liked it, honestly. Like, I liked the answer. I th- I think that... I agree with you. I don't think he was threatening Larry Scott in any way, shape, or form. But I do no. think USC shouldn't take things off the table. I do think USC should... Ha- sh- should And I loved what he said, I think, in the De- Dennis Dodd piece, where he was like... Where it was basically like... I mean, we're not leaving the Pac-12, but like, I'm not going to lie. If NBC came to us tomorrow and said hey, we're going to pair you up with Notre Dame, then yeah, we'd listen to that. Well, yeah, obviously, that's how you put pressure on the Pac-12 to get their crap together and get and get things together. And so, like, I don't think that it's a, a bad thing to have this, this offseason speculation. But, yeah, the Big 12 stuff is all offseason speculation. And at most, what I think that the positive that could come from it is the potential of the Pac-12 looking up and going, oh, buddy. We need to make sure that we keep USC happy, but I don't think for one second that the Big Twelve is going to try and you know ape the the, the Pac Twelve or or that USC would ever leave the Pac Twelve. Like I don't think that's that's the case at all. But I th- I do think you have some bargaining power that you can use.
1: I think the only way that the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve kind of have any sort of merger of of sorts, uh, even if it's just SC, um, is if there's super conferences at play.
2: Yeah, if if, if all if, of college football is If you go to super conferences. Realigning.
1: Yeah, and if all of com- if all of the conferences are realigning, r- realigning, and you're going to four conferences of 16 or something like that. Then the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have to be like, well, we've got to we've got to cut bait and you know figure something out. But like, I I don't know. I always liked the idea of the old the the Pac-16, which never came to fruition. That was another uh, kind of thing that was just thrown out there. Uh, you know, obviously in like in 2010, but. I like the Pac-12 as it is. I like the Big 12, even though it's 10 teams, um, as it is, even though West Virginia is there, and that's a little weird. Um, I like these conferences being separate. It would be super cool if SC played Texas and OU and Oklahoma State um, and maybe TCU, you know, every year. But do you really want to go to Lubbock? Do, do you really want to nope. travel to Ames? Nope. No? Like Lawrence, Kansas, do you want to go there? No? Like I'm sorry, but like I I, I have no interest in going to Waco. So, you know, and I, I know that you can't just write things off like that. It's not just about that, but I I don't know, I to me the, the, the Big Twelve seems cool because you could get to play Oklahoma and Texas. But that's only part of it. That's only part of it. Uh, I also don't like the the Big Twelve their their um, their rights for the tier three games. Uh, it, it's very, um, what's the word? Liberating for the schools. They have the absolute freedom to make their own deals. But what happens there? I think the fans get screwed. Um, Texas has all their their tier three games on the Longhorn Network ton of people who do not see those games. Oklahoma puts those Tier 3 games on pay-per-view. And I know SC fans right now are frustrated with the Pac-12 network. People would blow an absolute gasket if they had to, to pay $60, which Oklahoma pays. I mean, charges to for a Tier 3 game. If you had to pay $60 pay-per-view to watch USC play New Mexico in Week 2, can you imagine the comments that would be on the P about oh, that? Oh, dear. Yep. So, like... The the and that's not to say that the SC would do exactly what Oklahoma does, and obviously Oklahoma does it because they can make money doing it, but use this discussion to fix your own problems. That's what I that's what needs to come out of this for me, rather than just finding a different solution. I think that SC needs to, to throw their weight around and force the Pac 12 into fixing their own problems because staying in the Pac 12 long term I think is the best opportunity. But a Pac-12 that is more viable. How do you get Pac-12 more viable? That's the question um, that you need to answer. You need to to figure out. Uh, let's wrap this thing up with Dave in Orange County talking about donuts. He said, donut shop power ranking, question um, mark. Here's the thing, Dave. I don't want to go to a donut shop I know the name of. Like, I'm talking about like a chain.
2: You're, you're, you're not a, a Yum Yum or a Dunkin' no. or...
1: I don't want to go to Yum Yum. I don't want... Don't, sure as hell don't
2: want Dunkin'. Don't
1: give me Winchell's. Don't give me Krispy Kreme. Nothing. I want to only go to a donut shop that meets these criteria. Number one, you walk in and it's hot and humid in there. Number two, the seats are from the 1970s and they're plastic little L shapes with the like the the seats come down and they bend and they're just hard plastic and they look like they've been in there since 1972. Yes, that's the donut shop that I want to be at. Number 3, they give you pink boxes. And lastly, they're always mom and pop. They're usually like an older couple that's running it. And like you go in there and you see the same people every single day. And it's great. We have the luxury in California to have so many of these good places because there's there's just so many of them because we don't have that many donut chains. Those are the donuts that I like. Don't give me a freaking chain donut. Sure as hell do not give me a grocery store donut, which is the absolute worst possible donut that anyone could ever eat.
2: I'm, I'm in full agreement on the pink box a uh, donut place um generally of those like franchises essentially I feel very safe with USA donuts um which are generally those kinds of shops but do have like semi branding <laughs> that is the same wherever you go um but uh, yeah if I were to like rank the donut shops then It's those mom and pops way above everything else. And then you're probably getting to like, give me Krispy Kreme, give me yum yum. Dunkin' Donuts is awful. I don't think I've ever had a good Dunkin' Donuts. So there's that. But um, I don't think I I can't even remember ever being at Winchell's or anything like that.
1: I I think it's funny you say USA Donuts, like as if it's an actual chain.
2: I don't know if it's a chain, but they're all USA Donuts. Like they're all like... Branded so as USA Donuts.
1: There's five locations in the valley that are called USA Donuts. Maybe it's
2: like a valley thing.
1: It might be a little valley thing, but like I, I wouldn't call that a chain. That can still be a mom and pop kind of thing. No, plan.
2: they're all mom and pop. That's that's what I'm saying. Like if yeah. it's a chain, it's very loosely chained, but they're all mom and pop and they all fit your requirements, but they're all USA donuts. <laughs> and I don't know if they're actually related.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It, it could be like one of those things where you just see like dentist. <laughs> it's just a dentist. Donuts. Where do you go to get donuts? The place that says
2: donuts? Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, one of those. Uh, last one, last question. Dave says type of donut power ranking. Uh, rising donuts always. Cake donuts are just cake. They're not really donuts. They're just cake that's shaped in a donut. That's Those aren't real donuts. Um. Raising donuts, we're talking glazed donuts, fantastic. Cinnamon roll raised donuts, fantastic. Love it. My favorite place, uh Jay's donuts in Vida has uh, a cinnamon twist. It is the greatest thing you'll ever have in your life.
2: Well, I mean I disagree with your cake donuts aren't donuts take, but I love all donuts, so power ranking them is uh is a is a struggle for me. But I'd go you raspberry. You like
1: white powdered
2: donuts? Oh well, those yes, the, but the, those are those are like the the um, what are they called? Uh, like the, little they're Debbie's trash. Or,
1: that's what they are.
2: No, they're awesome. Yeah, they're, they're trash. Awesome.
1: Nope, nope, nope. Anyways, this has been a long john of an episode. So or a bar. I always called them bars. I never called them long johns. I long never, I never knew that they're called long johns. Chocolate long johns. Till, no, it's a bar. Chocolate bar. Chocolate twist. Glaze twist, glaze bar. Anyways, it's been a long John of an episode, a long one is our return to preview spring camp. But so much more is, is coming your way, including over on Patreon. Alicia, tell the people what you're doing on Patreon.
2: Yeah, Practice Car Cast come back this week. Uh, on Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I'll be at practice. Immediately after practice, I go jump into my car and record an episode talking about everything that I saw, all the... The interesting positional stuff, injury stuff, which players are standing out, what little things uh, did I notice about the way USC was practicing, all of those fun things. So, should be a fun week on the Patreon side of things with uh, practice CarCast back in full swing.
1: Yep, Patreon.com/slash troy Where you can subscribe, get all of our bonus of content for as little as five fifty-five per month. For three thirty-three, you can get all of our main shows with no ads, and for ten bucks, you get. All the main shows with no ads and all of bonus content. And you get to join our Slack channel to talk USC football or, quite frankly, anything else like the coronavirus <laughs> 24-7 as much as you want. So, uh, RenofTroy.com, or sorry, Patreon.com slash Troy is where you can subscribe and join us. But until then, you got a final word, Alicia?
2: The final word is <coughs> donut, as in... I I think I need to get a donut to celebrate spring camp starting
1: tomorrow. I'm tempted to go to one of the 24-hour Dunkins right now, even though know, Dunkin' Donuts oh, are absolute trash. Garbage. Don't do that to yourself. I know it'll just disappoint me. All right, until then, we'll see you. See you. See you.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.